This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast, and today we have the crew from Outdoor Alliance on the podcast to talk about advocacy, what Outdoor Alliance does, and how they do things a little bit differently than everyone else, um, and how they also come together in order to actually make change uh, positively for our outdoor spaces and our community. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you guys too, you guys too, I hope you guys do too. Um, it's, it's really important. It's important to me. And, uh, I think it's important for everybody to get involved with an organization like this, an organization like POW. It is, it is absolutely worth your time, your effort and your money, uh, to do something like this. So, uh, hit up outdoorlines.org for all the info, and then the show notes will have all the notes um, as to where you can get to the Mountaineers and Imba uh, from Betsy and from Kent, um, and like I said, as well as Outdoor Alliance. So uh, please use that as your resource. Before we jump into the show, a couple quick things. We have sponsors for today. Rocky Talkie is the best backcountry radio that you can possibly get. It is waterproof. It is super easy to use. It's probably the most user-friendly interface that I've seen. They look good. They come with a sweet Mammut carabiner, and I could not be prouder to work with this crew. You can go to rockytalkies.com backslash out of 10 to save yourself 10% off, or if you need a code, shoot me an email, or you can use OOC10 and uh, save yourself 10% off. I'm happy uh, to get you guys a deal on these things. It is a must-have for all your mountain bike adventures, especially for shooting. Um, and in the backcountry, this is a need. It's a 100% need. So go get yourself some. Uh, we also have our friends at Rumple. Rumple makes the best puffy blankets. That is what you know them for. But they also have a new nano, nano puff, which is lighter easier to use easier to pack it's a nice i actually used it the other day for uh for like a little picnic um when i was at the top of the mountain riding my bike it fit right in my frame bag and i uh, couldn't be happier with it you can go to rumple.com and get yourself a new rumple all yours um and uh and be psyched on it i mean also i've said this a million times but that towel that towel is so good that it like I keep that thing in my car, keep it in my backpack. That thing has seen a lot of things no towels should ever see. So, rumple.com. And without further ado, Outdoor Alliance. Everybody, why don't we introduce ourselves and then kind of go from there. Um, Adam, why don't you go first? Yeah. Hey, uh, nice to meet you all. Uh, it's Adam Kramer. I'm the CEO at Outdoor Alliance. Cool. Uh, Betsy? So I'm uh, Betsy Robley. I'm the Conservation and Advocacy Director with uh, the Mountaineers. Okay. We are a nonprofit outdoor education, conservation, and recreation organization based in Seattle, Washington. Cool. Uh, we're founded in 1906, and we've uh, been a member of Outdoor Alliance since 2015. Awesome. And Kent, you're up. All right. Thank you. Uh Hello, everybody. This is Kent McNeil, uh, CEO for the International Mountain Bicycling Association. And we are one of the founders of Outdoor Alliance. And uh, we're celebrating our 35th year birthday this year. So awesome. glad to be on <laughs> and, and, and talk about the work within uh, Outdoor Alliance. Cool. 
Um, Adam, can you kind of give us an idea, like give people listening an idea of what Outdoor Alliance is, why it exists, and then um, just a little bit of background so people kind of understand. Yeah, certainly. So, um, so essentially the, the member organizations were, were made up of 10 member organizations, two of which, you know, Mountaineers and, and IMBA. And they've been doing amazing work for decades. I mean, Betsy mentioned that they've been around since 1906 and Ken is saying that celebrated, you know, the 35th anniversary. And, and there are eight other organizations that are just like IMBA and Mountaineers in different spaces like Surfrider, Access Fund, America Whitewater. All have been thrown down on behalf of their communities and for the benefit of the environment for decades and crushing it. Um, and the idea of Outdoor Alliance is that all these different organizations and their respective communities, if they work together on bigger picture issues, they could have a kind of massive effect on, on uh, public policy and make things a lot better. And that was the basic question of Outdoor Alliance. Could all these different diverse organizations with similar values all get on the same page from a national policy perspective? And we've been answering that question for the last eight or nine years. And the answer so far is works pretty well. Okay. What for you guys, for Betsy and Kent, like what, what do you guys do as like, as far as your involvement goes with Outdoor Alliance? Yeah, I can start off. Um, so I am part of uh, what we call the joint policy shop at Outdoor <laughs> Alliance. And that's the the policy leads for all of the member organizations and we get together on a call every week and get and just discuss what's going on in Congress, uh, kind of share beta, share intel, uh, share opportunities to engage. And, um, and then I work with uh, Outdoor Alliance staff and the other member organizations on a regular basis, contributing to white papers and comment letters and congressional testimony. Uh, and I also, I also work with organizations within the state of Washington to kind of amplify our impact at, at the state level. Okay. Um, and then Kent, what, for Imba, what, what is the relationship like for you guys? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it really is a force multiplier in, inside of our policy and legislative work. And as, as mentioned by my colleagues, the joint policy shop is really um, a unique part of what makes Outdoor Alliance so effective. And our policy leads with, with Todd Keller and, um, and Aaron Clark on our team have really found uh, the joint policy shop to be a great place to, to think things through, um, thought, you know, with thought leaders, with other organizations and find alignment uh, around the policy and legislation. And for me, you know, sitting in the CEO role, I know that our our efforts um, can be impactful, but they're there's so much more impactful when done with a group of human powered recreation groups that want the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so we really it really helps guide us in terms of where and when to prioritize what pieces of policy and legislation to know the landscape, to be up on the hill, to be testifying in front of Congress, to be doing all of that work that takes, you know, a lot of times years to create effective policy and legislation. It's, it's such a valuable tool that the joint policy shop is continually focused on that uh, and recognizing what opportunities um, exist in the current, you know, political climate, whenever, you know, whenever that, uh, whatever that may be at the current time. So it's, it's hugely valuable uh, for our organization to be part and um, to, to collaborate with the other, with the other organizations and their policy leads as well. Betsy, can you talk a little bit about 
like the impact of advocacy on Congress. I think there's a lot of people, and I've had this discussion with other other guests before, like how much does talking to Congress and being involved in that discussion actually matter, like in terms of making changes or not making changes when it's beneficial to like recreation and outdoor spaces and, and making sure that we kind of have the things in place that we need to do going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of have a unique perspective on this because I started my career uh, working in Congress. <laughs> uh, so I was a legislative assistant on Capitol Hill for six years, and I was I was the person that uh, people like now me would talk to, uh, and I would get lobbied by a number of different groups. So I kind of have an insider's perspective of what's effective and and uh, how to make things happen. So. I would say uh, it's hugely important uh, for folks to to lobby Congress and to get to know their elected official and the staff. Um, and the way that we do that as uh, as organizations is really getting to know the congressional staff who are there, uh, you know, with their bosses and advising them on issues. Uh, we meet with them regularly. We through that find opportunities to. Uh, potentially testify before Congress to influence uh, the questions that the members ask at hearings and and what they mention in their floor speeches. Uh, We also do a number of events with the members back in the district. Everyone loves to get out on a hike or get out uh, whitewater rafting and and, uh, especially in the summertime. We we tend to uh, spend every August taking members outside and showing them their local public lands, introducing them to uh, the people in the land management agencies that that make that um, outdoor experience happen, Uh, and really seeing the impact of the issues on the ground. We bring our members to those sorts of events and and get them uh, introduced to their elected officials. So uh, we really find that, you know, despite despite what you may hear in the media about, you know, Congress doesn't do anything or it's really hard to access, uh, we kind of find the opposite and really have found success um, just building those strong relationships with congressional offices and making sure that they know about our local issues here on the ground. Yeah. And I think I've talked to Mario Molina from POW last summer. And one of the things that he was saying about what POW does, he's like, POW, as far as their approach is getting people to care and getting people to care for them is talking about like the things that they care about. Like, okay, if you don't act, there might not be winter anymore. There might not be skiing anymore. And it very much hits people in their backyard. Do you guys employ kind of a similar strategy, at least to get people in the door? Yeah. Yeah. I think for the mountaineers, um, I mean, we have hikers, climbers, mountaineers, backcountry skiers, snowshoers, sea kayakers. So we have people out on public lands and waters every day mm-hmm. and they're seeing, you know, glacial recession and increased rockfall because it's warmer out there and the effects of wildfire. Um, and honestly, it's it's a little bit of education that we do, but I think our members are like naturally activated to care. Mm-hmm. And the role that we see is really giving giving those folks who really care but they're like what do i do about this like how do i how do i solve um you know contribute to the issue that i really care about we say like hey this is how this is exactly how you can make a difference mm-hmm. you can 
send this email to your legislator on this issue or there's a hearing coming up in Congress. Uh, it's really important to tell your member to to attend that hearing and to ask a question or something like that. So so we really provide that um, that engagement opportunity for folks to uh, to directly advocate for for the things that they care about. Hmm. Kent, what about you as far as Imba goes? Like, is that is that a thing that you guys use? I mean, I think mountain bikers are a little bit different than a lot of the other categories in the sense that like they very much care about like their immediate trail system and their very localized trail system pretty often versus, you know, skiing. It's like people care about things that are so far away from them. Oftentimes it versus mountain bike. It seems like it's their backyard. That's most important to them. And you can tell me if I'm off base on this. No, I, th- I think you're right. I think that's where, that's where it starts with mountain bikers is, is there, are there trails close to home and, and how they, how they experience them. That's the most important thing. Um, as you know, mountain bikers also have a love of exploration and, and going to new places and riding and trying out new, new trails in, um, in different environments. But, uh, you know, I think what, what we're seeing and, and it's very similar you know, to all these outdoor rec groups is that even on your local trails, depending on where you live, uh, these things, you know, whether it's, whether it's wildfires, extreme weather, et cetera, you know, we're losing trail access, um, for one reason or another related to, to climate and, and what's happening. And so I think, you know, when you look at the work of outdoor Alliance, it's really to help, help all these user groups understand what is going on. And I think the two, two papers that have been put out recently by outdoor Alliance, one on climate and the other on wildfires, really, there are a lot of mountain bikers that that's relevant to and helping mountain bikers understand uh, what, what they can do um, if they, if they choose to take action on these, on these things is to understand what those opportunities and options are. Hmm. But uh, you know, cause it, if you think about it, even destination trails are local trails for somebody. And, Mm -hmm. and so no matter what, yeah, we all want to protect what's in our backyard. And I think, you know, um, globally as, as a user group, uh, I think we respect that any trail loss of trail access is, is detrimental to somebody close to home. Yeah. Adam, what, what is your day to day look like in terms of like making sure these things kind of kind of all work together. I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces here, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, you know, we do, we do four basic things at Outdoor Alliance. Like the first thing, and, and there's some references from Betsy and, uh, and from Ken, is like we focus on understanding the issues really deeply and intimately and very carefully. You got to figure out what's going on. And from a national policy perspective, conservation is just like, a little bit of it. And there's a lot of things within conservation and sifting through all those things that are going on and figuring out what's most important, what's most relevant, and then what's actionable. What can we do about it? It takes a lot of work, right? But by sifting through all those things, we kind of are able to prioritize what to do, um, whether it's a piece of legislation or some work with, uh, you know, administrative agencies. We also spend a lot of time building relationships, long-term relationships and trust uh, within the community with, uh, policymakers. So first figuring out, like th- making sure there's dialogue amongst ourselves, you know, like that Todd is talking to Betsy, is talking to Eric Murdoch, is talking to uh, Tom O'Keefe, all these uh, policy experts uh, within the After Alliance member organization. So maintaining internal dialogue is critical uh, in building trust. And then 
we meet with policymakers and their staff at scale, you know, and we keep track of those things. Over the last few years, we've had like, I don't know, almost 400 meetings with uh, lawmakers and their staff. And it goes to Betsy's point earlier that, you know, these lawmakers, they, they do care about what you think, and more so if you know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. and even more so if it's personally meaningful to you, which is kind of the superpower of our community. We aggregate all this wisdom and perspective and knowledge about specific places. Um, and, you know, we kind of have a long-term game in mind in terms of building these relationships and capitalizing on opportunities. Um, we rely on data uh, pretty extensively to inform how we set priorities um, in terms of where the resources are, what they mean to different people. Uh, because of the personal relationship, if there's a personal connection to a place, you're far more likely to be involved mm-hmm. uh, on a matter. And then we try to respect that in terms of engaging different parts of the community on different issues based on the connection. And I guess the most important thing that we do, um, and it's kind of a through line for all this stuff, was we empower people to make a difference. Once we have a sense as to what's going on and the timing of different opportunities, we make these things understandable and actionable to people. We're like, this is what's going on. This is why it's important. Here are the things that you could do based on where you live and who you know to make a difference. Hmm. And that's, you know, that's the sketch of everything we do kind of fits into those four buckets. Yeah. Let me let me ask you guys a little bit about so this this conversation kind of got brought up because I had had a guest on and we were talking about POW. And I kind of had some, and before I kind of go on with this, I I think POW is extremely necessary. I think what they do is really good. I think there's a lot of positives to what they do. But I had feedback, I guess, that they were unhappy with in that they do a lot of social advocacy in, in the sense of, like, online, selling merch. And it seems like, and just sticking influencers and athletes at Capitol Hill taking photos, posting it to Instagram. And I don't know how impactful that same strategy is over and over and over again. Like, it seems like it happens every few months. So I guess, do you guys have an opinion on whether this works or not? Like whether this is an effective strategy? And I don't want necessarily, like, again, I don't want to just talk shit about POW because I'm a member, like I, we donate to POW every single year. And it's really important to me, but I also think that there's ways that they could be more effective about what they do. So I kind of am just looking for a little bit of a comparison here since POW has kind of become like the socially acceptable place for people to go and support blindly. Um, So I kind of just want some feedback on that stuff. A couple ideas. (laughs) One, like we're all working towards uh, addressing climate change. It's an existential issue. It's so big mm-hmm. and so overwhelming. There's a need for more people to get involved, more organizations to get involved, mm-hmm. not less. Okay, so their presence, their leadership within this, this space, uh, we are all grateful for it, mm-hmm. right? And they've been an early adopter uh, of, of the issue, um, far more so than a lot of other or, uh, environmental organizations. Uh, so that's great. And then the second thing is, policy in many cases follows narrative. You need to have some type of conceptualization as to what's going on, why it matters for society, why it's important to like catalyze action, catalyze thought about, all right, so what are we gonna do about it? So elevating the issue, drawing the connection between climate 
and skiing and how if climate goes to uh <laughs> continues on its current trajectory <laughs> skiing right that idea and introducing that idea and reintroducing that idea has got tremendous merit mm-hmm. so we're grateful for what they're doing um and policy and making change in the world it's complicated and it's hard and you need a portfolio of different strategies that stuff counts and it matters and what we found within outdoor alliance is that we've got certain skill sets and capacities and we try to bring those to the table and figure out given what we have what are the best strategies for us how can we inform the public process um, it goes back to these four things you know we, uh, we've got the capacity to really go deep on the issues what all this stuff means we've got the ability to build long-term relationships with policymakers trusting relationships so you know we inf- when they've got to make these judgment calls, they want to know what we think. They want to know what our community thinks. And that takes time to establish those relationships. So it's it's all welcome and it all counts. Okay. Do you guys have any thoughts, Betsy, Kent, on this? I would just add that I think I, w- I would echo what Adam said and that it it takes there there are groups that are going to be doing the actual policy and legislative work and there are going to be those that amplify it and bring more people to support it or take action and groups that are kind of a hybrid of both and i just you know i think the more people we have around the table drawing awareness Mm -hmm. to these issues and connecting people to the value of taking action and understanding the value in it i think it's a yes and like we need them they need us yeah uh we all have our lane um and I think it's important that uh, that we continue to raise the awareness on these issues. For sure. Our, we talk a, a lot about like making an impact, making a change. What, what do people do at the individual level to actually make some kind of difference in their community? I think this, a lot of times these discussions get a little too high level for people. Like they get a little too overwhelming to the point where people don't understand. They're just like, I'm gonna buy a sticker that's what I'm going to do. And that seems like enough today, you know, like what, what can people do at a feasible local level to, to impact their community and impact the environment in a positive way? Yeah, I can start there. Um, I would, I would have people start locally and look to, you know, if they're a mountain biker, join IMBA, if they're a climber, join access fund, if they're in Western Washington, (laughs) Uh, join the Mountaineers uh, and you get involved in your local community of like-minded people who who do your same activity or, or with the Mountaineers, you join a community to take a class or take a course or go on a trip. And through that, you can get connected with the issues that really matter to your local place, to your local activity uh, through those organizations who uh, have staff like me who are able to both have that connection locally, but also nationally and be able to activate folks on what's important. Um, and then there's also, you know, tons of other local opportunities through uh, following what your city council is doing, following what your uh, state legislature is doing. Um, and those are often a bit easier ways to access uh, versus going right to the national level. Hmm. Kent, what about you? Like easy things that people can do to make a positive impact. 
Yeah, well, everything that Betsy just said. Uh, <laughs> it's going to get harder and harder as we go. It's going to get to Adam. I'm just going to steal this from Adam because Adam's like third in line is to say, sign up for the Outdoor Alliance newsletter, right? And, and, and look for those action alerts. Because I think, you know, even with the state where I live, which is less than 2% public lands, like I take action with my local, you know, action alerts and senators and congressmen and women. And as well as be involved in the lo- in the real local level, like Betsy described, and I think it's it's understanding that you know that change happens from the ground up, and being involved in your local org and local community is important. But also understanding what's happening nationally, understanding the issues and and what's going on at the federal level is are really important as well. And so I think it's that you know hyper local involvement along with you know, an outdoor alliance type awareness and involvement gives you that full picture to really understand how you can take action, um, whether it be on a federal action alert or at a city council meeting. Um, those are the ways that I see uh, that you can get involved and take action and not not be overwhelmed by the complexity that, that you know, we talk about in, in the space. Hmm. For sure. Adam, you got anything on this? Yeah, hang out with the people you like the organizations that inspire you, you know, and don't feel overwhelmed. You know, like what Inba has to say, follow them, consider being a memo member, same thing with Mountaineers. And, um, you know, Congress is big and unwieldy. It's like mm-hmm. a bunch of senators and Congress people, and it feels like overwhelming, but as an individual, you've got your constituent for a congressperson, two senators and your governor, you know, it's, it's four people. Mm-hmm. It's not all of them. And coming to terms with or embracing the fact that you've got standing to speak to at least a handful of people that inform you know, the outcomes for the whole country and work with local organizations and outdoor alliance to figure out what's going on and weigh in where it makes sense for you to do so is huge. Yeah. Because like, here, think of it this way. If you, if you don't do it, you basically double the impact of somebody that that you don't agree with that is showing up. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think there there's definitely a something is better than nothing approach to what a lot of people do. And I think if we can all do something, it's it's certainly a more, there's a more positive route to some success here, I think. Um, I think it's just, it's, it's also just motivating people to actually go and do something. And I think like everybody lives busy lives, it's hard to make people actually care. It's just, it's a difficult thing. It just comes with the territory. It, but when you care and show up and you see like your fingerprints on the outcome, it's rather intoxicating. Yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> <Which> is, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Like most people don't care. So the lane for having an impact is like way bigger than you think. Yeah. And hanging out with, with outdoor lines and member organizations, you know, that's a way to like explore that power, try it on for size, wield it a little bit and kind of bask in, in the positive impact of it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I'd also say that we're talking a lot about advocacy and policy and some people that's just totally not their game and they would rather get their hands dirty and go and like help build a trail or pull out some blackberries and do some restoration work or, uh, you know, help build a sustainable climbing trail to a crag, their, their local crag. And that's, that's awesome as well. You know, go out and get your hands dirty and help public lands give back. And that's what a lot of our member groups do as well. So 
um, if you're a type of person that's just really turned off by anything politics, then you don't need to engage in, I mean, (laughs) definitely vote. Um, I'm definitely not saying don't be engaged, but um, go out and, and get your hands dirty instead. Yeah. Is there, you bring up voting, is there a way as people are like looking at candidates to elect into local office, or even like when we talk about the bigger elections, like is there a way, an easy way to tell who believes what and how to figure out what they believe in so that you can get educated on what what policies actually make sense? Because I think a lot of people care that they're voting for the right candidate, but a lot of times it's just a guessing game between what someone says they're gonna do and what they've shown that they'll do. So is there a way that you guys, can provide that information? Do you provide that information? And, and how do people kind of pick that apart? So we're all uh, nonprofit organizations and we legally, we do not get involved in anything to do with elections. Mm-hmm. So getting candidates elected or not elected, do we encourage people to vote? Absolutely. But picking candidates uh, is something that you know NGOs, unless uh, tend to not be involved in. Yeah. Um, but whoever is elected, I mean, everybody should vote, right? But regardless of what the outcome is, you've got standing to engage with your elected representative and not just show up every two years or every four years. Mm-hmm. Let them know what they think. And there are multiple opportunities to engage through you know email or they have town halls mm-hmm. and just being an active constituent is voting is the first part being an active constituent is a way to get the information have the 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 contact to make sure that um kind of draw your own conclusions about what they're doing and whether they're representing your values and if they're not got standing to let them know otherwise yeah is yeah i guess for a lot of people like you said they vote every two or four years and then they don't really know i because i think to a lot of our my generation you hear town hall and no one knows what that means or where you go for that, how to get that information. Like, it just sounds like a thing. Like I was on the conservation committee in the town I grew up in when I was like 18, right? I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea why I was there, how I got there and had this conversation. And I would just constantly see people my grandfather's age every single time in there and no one my age. And and I don't really understand why that is. just a like i just don't i don't necessarily get it is there a re- like is there a reason for it or is mm. it just like it, it just is what it is at this point do people in this generation just not care like i i just don't I, I just don't get it i'm trying to get an understanding for it i i don't think no i i don't think it's the case that people don't care I do think the process is complicated and it's like, it's helpful to, let's say you, if you've never gone backcountry skiing and you want to go, you don't just show up by yourself. Like you got to learn a little bit about it, right equipment. You go with a guide, somebody that understands a thing or two about avalanche safety, right? And terrain management. And when you go with somebody that has, has that, expertise and makes things more accessible. And that's the role of the Outdoor Alliance, member organizations in Outdoor Alliance as an organization, as a coalition, to like look into this morass of stuff and say, 
all right, this is what it means. This is what's important. And we try to facilitate, um, create an on-ramp for people to figure out what's important. Because if you just look into everything that the government's doing, what Congress is doing, of course, you're going to feel overwhelmed. But if you connect with organizations and people and leaders that you can relate to, and you kind of cobble together what's important from them, and if those organizations give you opportunities to take action, like, that's it. I mean, town halls, I mean, Betsy could speak a bit more specifically about town halls. She's had some experience in Washington State that I think is pretty illuminating. But I guess my point is, take little steps, these little things that you do, and orient those steps towards the things that inspire you and the people you like. And that's a great place to start. But Betsy could talk more about town halls. <laughs> Yeah, I helped, uh, I worked for uh, Representative Rick Larson uh, in Washington State, and this was during the um, Obamacare and healthcare town halls, and we did our first town hall at a, like a local PUD conference room. People were just overflowing the room, like he had to go outside, talk to people on the lawn, and so the next one we said, okay, we're going to put it in a baseball stadium. <laughs> and we brought it to uh, the local uh, Everett Aquasox baseball stadium. So um, that was just an issue that people really care about healthcare. And, and we saw, we saw the, the kind of the state old town hall model blown out the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, uh, I think to Adam's point, people do care uh, when, when you're effective and you can find ways to reach them and find ways to make it accessible and, and interesting and, um, and impactful to people's lives, uh, people will engage. And I think that's, that's our challenge as, as folks that work in advocacy and policy, but it's also our ele- up to our elected officials to find unique ways to, to reach people, um, whether it's through social media or through, you know, quote unquote, old fashioned ways like town halls. Um, so I guess that's a challenge to all of us. For sure. For sure. Um, can, can I ask you about mountain biking specifically in terms of like, it, it's always an issue, especially in Massachusetts, it seems like where people have a hard time getting trail networks <clears throat> actually approved in their areas, like and getting access to that space that either the state owns or is public land like uh, talk to me a little bit about the kind of work that Eva does in terms of like not just allowing new trails to be built or allowing mountain bike trail access on already existing trails but also like w- changing the perspective of what mountain bikers actually are because a long time ago I I helped build a trail system in in my town when I grew up that trail system it went through like a huge series of processes to get this whole thing approved and ready to go. And one of the biggest things we faced was people being like, oh, mountain bikers are assholes, right? Like that was the biggest thing, I think, right out of the gate that was a hurdle. So the thing that we had to do was kind of change that perspective and make very clear language that like, okay, this is a multi-use trail, right? This is a trail for everybody and make that clear, not only to the people that were opposing it, but also to the people that were using it. How, how do you get involved in that kind of thing? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's gotten even more complex as the type of mountain biking experiences <laughs> has evolved and expanded. 
and we're not just talking about traditional, you know, shared use single track uh, trails. But one of the things that um, that we really got behind is a movement that, that we're helping lead called Trails Are Common Ground. And the approach uh, we have with all of uh, the folks around the table is we, we felt like we really needed to get the natural surface trail user community together. Uh, and especially as you plan systems close to population density, a lot of times those shared use, shared direction trails don't work so well uh, because they work well until everybody shows up at once. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's a lot of user conflict. And so one of the initiatives behind Trails Are Common Ground is working with all the broader trail user groups to advocate for systems, as you just said, not just a single trail project, but to better plan their systems and to make sure that within those systems, all the user groups can have the experience they want to have. Mm-hmm. And so there might be a, a, a hoof and hike only zone. And, and then, you know, that allows you to have mountain bike trails and single direction trails uh, that don't make walkers and hikers and equestrians jump out of the way when you surprise them coming at full speed. And I think a lot of that, you know, mountain bikers are assholes. A lot of it is because we're the fastest user group on natural surface trails. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we blow through a trail trying to experience the trail the way we want to, uh, we can come off as the a-holes yet. What we really want is to be able to ride our bikes the way that they were designed to be ridden. And so how do we work with the, with the broader um, natural surface trail user community to develop better systems and to create so they can have a very peaceful experience when they're out on the trail as well, because their experience is as important as ours, especially if we all want to conserve and protect that landscape. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you'll see, you'll see a trend or you, if you look back um, over the last 10 years of a lot of mountain bike organizations changing their name to trails organizations mm-hmm. because they're understanding this power of let's advocate for trail systems for broader users and better design them. And that way we don't, we don't typically not, I mean, not, nothing's foolproof, but we don't typically run into as many headwinds um, in getting a well-designed system in place. As long as everybody can see, they're going to be able to have an experience they want to have on it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the approaches that I think is really um, changing. And, and like I said, even just watching mountain bike organizations change their names, I think just shows us that mountain bikers are beginning to understand we need to advocate, but not alone. And we need to take into consideration all these other experiences why selfishly so we can have directional trails so we can have the experience we want to have on and not worry about hitting somebody on the trail so those those things are all intertwined and um but it's hard and that's that's not even that's just a, you know i guess addressing the social um you know conflict and user conflict not to get into all the other uh permitting and things you have to do to get a trail system done but generally if you can get a larger group and community willpower behind it it's a lot easier to get through the rest of the barriers um, when you don't have user groups fighting with, you know, amongst each other about those systems. Does IMBA have like a sort of educational tool that they use to kind of educate new mountain bikers on what this is? Because mountain biking, unlike backcountry skiing, like Adam mentioned, you can just go buy a mountain bike and go ride any trail you want, basically, right? So new mountain yeah. bikers are very much they're just kind of out there sometimes. Not everybody has a friend that they go with. Not everybody has a group that they go with. And, and the education for like, hey, don't be one of those people that's blowing by a hiker and a family on a trail is really, I don't know, it's not easy to access as a first time mountain biker. So does Zimba have those kind of things in place? 
Yeah, we do. And it's actually, it's the other kind of pillar of the Trails Are Common Ground movement. So if you go to trailsarecommonground.org, there's a whole lot of etiquette and user information. Um, and we've layered in technology. So the new e-mountain bikers that are coming, you know, to the landscape that may be trying mountain biking for their first time and don't understand, you know, the the ethos of the community and mm-hmm. what's expected. And so, um, and that's why we developed it that way, because we wanted um, each of the user groups around the table uh, within Trails or Common Ground are ultimately letting their user groups know what the ethos is for their user group on the landscape. Mm-hmm. And and for Imba, we're there to educate mountain bikers, um, you know, whether they're coming there for the first time or they're trying out new technology and just reminding folks of what that trail etiquette and ethos is. Um, and because you're right, there's a, the pandemic brought, as we all know, uh, unprecedented, or unprecedented amount of users through those systems and a lot of new folks that just they weren't trying to cause problems. They just didn't know any better. Uh, and so that's where we started that movement um, during the pandemic and, uh, and continue to pour resources into it because we don't see that waning um, in terms of participation hmm. in need. Yeah, for sure. Um, last thing I want to ask you guys, and again, thank you for the time. I, re- I really appreciate it. What, what resources are there on Outdoor Alliance with Outdoor Alliance so that people can actually get a little more educated and find out more about how to call your congressperson, how to actually like make an impact on the environment in a positive way, how to, how to actually make some kind of change? Wow. Like, we got a lot. Of <laughs> I saw this on the site already before I'm asking uh, this question, yeah, but yeah. like, I, I kind of want like just a basic answer of like how to, how people should go about doing this. Cause there's a lot out there. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, sign up for our emails and then you get stuff that's fresh and relevant and don't feel overwhelmed. Um, and, um, yeah, there's also sections of that kind of takes apart what, um, advocacy is all about like how to talk to your congressperson how to if you want to go to a town hall there are a lot of resources about we split up between the substance of what to protect and what's hot and then also the craft what does it mean to be an advocate what does it mean to be a constituent um how do you exercise those opportunities so the website's got both types of information to help you get your bearings but i think that um you know taking a look at the emails and the newsletters and the action alerts is like an amazing way to start because it's what's hot right now. And it's tailored for things that you could do that you have standing to do as a constituent. Hmm. And we do our very best to tailor opportunities to different parts of the community. So people are speaking in a way that's authentic and meaningful to them. And that has the biggest impact on policymakers. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for the time. This has been great. 